Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I'm going back to how many chairmans we have. I've lost, lost count of how many. You know, the chairman of the week almost. It was embarrassing. It was, it was very quickly from that situation that all of a sudden um, things, you know, start going wrong. I can't say anything positive about losing your football club because it is just the saddest of times. Uh, he sacked the lad once for, I think he was eating a pasty. It was an awful, awful period. Hello, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to this brand new Pint of Football podcast as we delve into the highs and lows of a dissolved football club. Our debut episode features memories of the first ever English Football League playoff final, a teenager who gave the club 200 grand to stay alive, and a Phoenix club that started in a pub. This is episode one of Pint of Football's Lost Clubs, Shot Down, the story of Aldershot FC. Aldershot Football Club was formed in 1926, beginning life in the Southern League in the 1927-28 season, alongside teams such as Dartford, Poole Town and Kettering Town. They won their first league title and were elected to the Football League in time for the 1932-33 season. Both incarnations of Aldershot have played at the recreation ground on Aldershot High Street since their inception. Aldershot's history as a league club was one of near constant struggle. With financial woes never far away, they had to be re-elected to the league on two occasions and never got higher than the third tier, which is hardly surprising when you consider that the club was the smallest, town population-wise, in the Football League. On the other hand, Schott's fans can look back fondly on memorable FA Cup victories against Portsmouth and Sheffield United, as well as what would arguably be their last hurrah holding West Ham United to a nil-nil draw away at Upton Park in the third round. The Hammers would go on to win the replay 6-1. The shots would also be immortalised as a pub quiz question as the first English club to win a Football League playoff as they beat Wolverhampton Wanderers 3-0 over two legs to win promotion from the fourth division on the 25th of May 1987. Upon the demise, fans acted quickly and established Aldershot Town in time for the 1992-93 season, where they began life at Level 9 in the Pyramid. 
As Phoenix clubs often do, they progressed through the leagues quickly and found themselves back at their historical comfort zone in 2008-9, having won the Conference National the previous season with a whopping 101 points. The new shots slid back down to non-league again in 2012-13, and the National League is where we find them today. With four league titles, a Conference League Cup, five Hampshire Senior Cups and two FA Trophy semi-final appearances to their name and with a renewed interest from the people of Aldershot in their local club. The future looks secure for Aldershot Town. But how did they get here? Yes, how did they get here indeed? And for those of you who haven't guessed from the title, that is exactly what our podcast Lost Clubs is about. So, To start things off, uh, a special hello to this first episode from me, Daz, and also the other half of Pint Football, Tom. What's up? So the first thing we want to do before we kick off our um, selection of amazing interviews with some great people is, uh, Tom, what do we think about Aldershot Town Football Club? Uh, um, I remember Aldershot being around a lot when we were in league well we bristol rovers my my team were in league two always kind of um they were they were another team that were always sort of mid-table to struggling and that they they were sort of punching above their weight so you could always sort of relate to them because they were also struggling in league two at the time yeah absolutely and uh again as a uh formerly a macclesfield town fan uh which of yeah, course yeah, i have yeah. to say have to say with great sadness uh, as one of the uh, many lost clubs of the country now. Um, same sort of thing as you, Tom. I remember um, Aldershot always been there or thereabouts, um, same positions as uh, Mac when we were in the National League. Um, I think the year um, we won the league, uh, I'm pretty sure Aldershot were in the early stages of the season, one of the teams that were leapfrogging us, we leapfrogged them. And then I'm pretty sure that season they just sort of faded away at Christmas, which was unfortunate. Mm. So, who are we going to be hearing from today, Tom? Well, we have Andy Mayer, who was an ex-coach of the reformed club, who became so traumatised that he moved to New Zealand. <laughs> Kudumbuya, player for both um, Aldershot Town and the former Aldershot. And Graham Brookland, the co-founder of the new club, which was started in 1992. Uh, first up, we have Andy to tell us about the rise and fall of the old club. All the shots seem to be a club that, or, or on the pitch, with we seem to be able to rise to the occasion. Specific names, you just had a feeling we we turn it. I don't know how we managed to do it because most of the time it's pretty average, you know, at the best. But um, we had that ability sometimes to just pull a pull a result out when and I think in the going back to the playoffs I think we've beaten Bolton Bolton were then I like that playoff because it was one from the third division three from the fourth you know yeah yeah and Phil then was player manager of Bolton anyway we beat them over two legs as well which was you know so that was the sort but then we could lose to anyone all the shot will be just about the smallest club then that were in the football league not now as I, I realise but Half the town was army, um, so it was quite a small town, but had a bigger profile because lots of people had been in the services. Or people were born in Aldershot. I had no connection, but purely because their 
the old man or them, and they were in the army, you know, so <laughs> it wasn't relative to the size of it, really, you know. What do you remember about the famous day in 1987 mm. against mm. Wolves in the first ever yeah, Football League playoff? Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, it was an awesome, it was a Friday night, as from my memory, we were absolutely, the shots were outstanding <laughs> against Steve Bournem, Bullen much up front and everything. And we were, I'm not sure how many points, I think we were nine points behind them, or we finished way behind them. <laughs> um, and we turned them over. I remember Bobby Barnes penalty, was it? Did he score two? Uh, anyway, I've got a clear recognition of being there and we just did everything right. And, yeah, and yeah. ended up winning 2-0. There is an incident, there is something connected with that. Um, I, my, my father was Polish, you know, and he died about a year or so previously. Mm. And I had his ashes. And it's a, anyway, there was a coach going to Poland on the Saturday. So I left at the crack of dawn on Saturday morning on a coach. And it's before the days of obviously mobiles and, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, any connection. So I was gone for three weeks. I didn't have a clue what, no one knew what had happened. <laughs> The village we stayed in had one telephone in the priest's house and, and no one knew what happened in a second. We didn't know. It's killing wow. us. What happened to the club to see it go from beating Wolves in the playoffs to completely collapsing in 1992? Well, always talked about financial mismanagement, which is an easy thing. I, I'm not a financial person particularly, but... Uh, there was all sorts of turmoil with the next chairman, another chairman... So I can't give you a simple answer to that. Uh, no end to the problems. I don't know and how they racked up. I do know when Brian Talbot came to the club, he said to me, every time he opened the door, there'd be another unpaid bill, you know. <laughs> every time he thought he cleared one, he found, you know, the, the hotel hadn't been played for, and Blackpool hadn't played for the coat, hadn't played, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so the people in charge obviously weren't financially reliable or they were just using it as a vehicle for their own self-interest and their own glory you know the chairman maybe could appear as though he had lots of money but he wasn't really putting anything I don't know which one we had we had so many quite honestly I think when Brian Talbot left the club he'd come into the club he had connections with the PFA and he managed to bring in money early and and he put a whole new professionalism in which I think carried on with Steve Wignall during the 1991-1992 season, did yep. you see things happening at the club or behind the scenes which made you think the end's coming? Back in the old football club, which I should say, I got phoned up once and said, could I go to the kit, these kit people, Ribeiro, who made the, or, yeah, I think it was Ribeiro, and pick a kit up that's going to be used on the Friday night game with a new sponsor. Um, and as soon as you're in the ground, you know, talk to Lenny or, for the, or get a message to Lenny um, because it's going to be used that night. And I went over there, I picked the kit up, and piled it all in the boot in the car, brought it to the ground with a spon new sponsor in. Lenny came rushing, no, don't show anyone, don't show anyone. Da, 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 da. And we never saw the light of day. It never got used because I presume they had someone lined up to come in, a new investor. And it all fell over, so they couldn't, you know, that sorts of things were happening. You know, oh, so that man. kit, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> it, useful, like it but it never got used. It never got used.
Okay, so interesting interview, Tom. What do you think happened to that kit, that new kit? <laughs> well, oh, who knows? I'm sure I know that that's happened before to Rovers. I can't remember. I think it was like some sort of betting company or something had like a shoulder advert with us. And then it got cancelled at the last minute or whatever. So we just, until we got new shirts done, we were just playing with like um, tape over the advert, like blue tape over it. Um, I think I heard that it happened to West Ham like decades ago. and um, But things like that just happen at that level. Like um, my, I think I mentioned it in the interview with Andy. I don't think it made the cut. But um, when Rovers got relegated from League Two, um, Mansfield forgot their kit, so um, they had to. They played us in our own away kit, so we got relegated by a team wearing that wearing our own away kit. So <laughs> <laughs> it is like, yeah, you know, they've made the shirt and they realised at the end hour they can't use it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It but it me. kind of um, it it speaks volumes really about the state the club was in, in that they clearly had a lot of people seemingly interested in what they had to offer as a club but when it actually came to putting the money where the mouths were it just seemed to never quite materialise for the club yeah I don't know it's hard like uh, maybe I'm trying to think when would when would the sort of commercialisation of football would have been around sort of like 1992 wouldn't it like um, was that not the year that the Premier League started so yeah um, yeah a lot of teams in like sort of um division four as it was who were like and i mean they still are but they were really really hand to mouth and like um in much the way that non-league clubs are now they basically be held up by sort of a cavalcade of um essentially volunteers and people that just like did it for the did it for the love like 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 andy and yeah. um you, you can run you can run a team well enough but like these days you've got to have you got to have revenue streams. You got to be using the stadium for other stuff, and yeah, he's got to be a bit clever, unfortunately, and it wasn't always possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Okay, so what we'll do now is uh, we'll move on to the next interview, and we're going to be hearing from a player who played for Aldershot Football Club and also Aldershot Town Football Club. My name is Claude Dunbar. I first got involved with the club in 1988. Uh, I did a year apprenticeship under Len Walker, was the manager. And then after that, I, got, I was lucky enough to be accepted as a first-year pro. And then I left. And then when the club was going through difficult times, I came back in as a non-contract player until obviously, they, obviously everything went um, pear-shaped. And I, I was lucky enough to be invited back when the old, the new, or the new club now where I'm started again. I was there for two years, got two promotions. Why do you think the old club folded? Well, it, it's it's really difficult because um, as a player, all you're interested in is obviously playing, training. You don't really you don't really take too much notice. What, what I call the other side of the game in terms of what's happening financially and so long as every each month you're getting your money and you're playing and training I think that's it's like a little bubble that's all you're concerned about but certain things that that really um, came to light was I think I think Hutchinson was the what was the, was the chairman you know 
I think a couple of months towards the end, especially near Christmas, our pay was beginning to get a little bit late. We were due to go out for a Christmas due, but that sort of didn't materialise. That you know, things like that were, were happening. Also, in terms of uh, going for away games, sometimes we used to go the night before uh, to a game, stay at the hotel, and then play the game the next day and come back. Um, yeah. But sometimes, even in the long journeys, we go probably on the same day, like early in the morning hours and things like that. So there's little things like that. But obviously, like I said, as as a player or a squad, you really your main concern is really just to play. After that period, um, obviously, what happened then? Players started to leave. Players started to get sold. Steve Claridge went to Cambridge. Adrian Randall, he left, went to Burnley. Uh, and the goalkeeper, uh, I mean, he went to West Brom. And so there's players beginning to move to, to, to move on. Then all of a sudden, each year or year, that obviously the club were going through a difficult time. Players weren't getting paid. And then obviously players, obviously, uh, with saying, obviously, they're... It's not in their contract, which is you're stopping them when I'm not paying them so they can do what they want. So they start leaving. And then obviously you need to fulfill the fixture. And that's where I got a call um, from me at McDonald's to see if I'd like to come back and just train and see how it goes. Because obviously the, the club still were in duty to fill the fixture. So that's how, you know, when that starts happening, you know, the experienced players leaving, that's when you know the club is in trouble. I mean, I must say before we carry on talking, Tom, Koo, to me, I mean, what a guy. He, not only did he join the club as an apprentice and then got released uh, whilst injured, um, he then came back to the club at the drop of a hat because they needed to fulfil the fixture and basically no other bugger would play for them. And then... (laughs) When the club reformed, who do you think gets a call again to join the new team? I mean, to see, to see, to listen to him, how chuffed he was to win two promotions with the new club, a lot of players would have just said, sod off, wouldn't they? Is he to Macclesfield what Danny Whitaker was for Aldershot, if that means anything to anyone? <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, there's always every club has the sort of stalwarts and the, the, the man sort of Mr. Aldershot, Mr. Macclesfield, whatever, whoever the club is, there's always that person who represents the club at all times. And I think the thing with Koo though, um, is because he came and left the club twice in unfortunate circumstances for him, you know, the way he sees it as he was invited back, he sees it as like a you know, he's been invited back to the club he loves, whereas a lot of people might have seen that as, you know, oh, we're struggling, give Koo a call. For sure, like, some people would be like, oh, I'm coming to the end of my career, but Oldershot have reformed and they're like, you know, right down at the bottom of it. I don't want to be playing that low, but he was like, oh yeah, I'll go back to Oldershot. So he's clearly got a got a real place in his heart for him, which is nice. Yeah, definitely. He he certainly um, defines a player who's loyal to the cause, which, um, you know, you, you don't often get these days. OK, so finally, we move on to our third interview, um, which was with co-founder, 
one of the people who created the new club, uh, Aldershot Town, in 1992. And I think the best way to summarise uh, our final interviewee is he loves the club so much that he's written a book about the club. For anyone who's interested, the book is called To Make a Dream Survive. And this is the interview from Graham Brooklyn. In 1992, March, we, we sadly um, were liquidated, uh, the first football league team in 30 years, to lose our football league status in, in mid-season. Um, I think it was Akron Stanley in 1962 before then. Um, and so I, I became involved in, in sort of a, the resurrection, I suppose, of football in Aldershot. Um, a good friend of mine, Terry Owens, was the guy that uh, contacted me as chairman of the Porters Club before we folded. And Terry said to me, "Are you, you know, would you support me? I'm doing a lot of groundwork to get it forming a new club." And at the time, I said no because at the moment we're trying to save this club. But of course, once um, the club folded, then we we um, reintroduced the conversation. Terry contacted me again, and he said, um, "Are you interested now?" I said, "Absolutely." Uh, the next night, we had a meeting of our supporters club committee at the Crimea pub in Aldershot. It's opposite the stadium. And that's where the story began of, of Aldershot Town uh, 1992 Limited. It changed my life because I, in the end, I ended up working 21 years with the football club, uh, 10 of those years full time as the as a football club secretary, company secretary. Um, and then I, I left that in uh, 2002. And, and again, it's somebody... Uh, said to me once, he said, when your job becomes a chore, it's a time to have a think about things. And the job started to become a chore for me. And, and I wanted to do something different. I got the opportunity to do something different. But then I carried on a little gap, but then I carried on doing the media stuff at the football club. And, and again, I, I did that all the way up to 2013. I loved Aldershot Football Club. And we always have this conversation with fans now, especially of my era, sort of my age and that. And, you know, Without Aldershot Football Club, there's no Aldershot Town Football Club. So, you know, we, 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 everybody understands that. And so we've still got the memories of Aldershot Football Club as time goes on. My, my son, who's, who's 22, passionate about Aldershot, you know, he doesn't have that because he's only grown up with Aldershot Town. It's a different kind of um, scenario now to what it was then. We were a, a football league club, a small, you know, one of the smallest and at times the smallest town and who had a football league club. Aldershot was always about being a proud football club, connection with the town, connection with the fans, and able to punch above its weight and unsettle bigger clubs. But we did it year in, year out for a, a, a number of years. And, and they were great times. And we got to the FA Cup fifth round. And this is the memory that everybody has. And my son gets bored with it, actually, because I, I mention it quite often. We played Shrewsbury Town in the fifth round. We scored in the 89th minute, John Dunworth, who was a cult hero at Aldershot, score to make it 2-1 and we thought we were going to the FA Cup quarterfinals we would have played Wolverhampton Wanderers funny enough and literally we scored they took the kickoff we're waiting for the final whistle to go uh, mix up at the back a trophy player lobs the ball from about 30 yards into the net 2-2 there were 12,000 people in the stadium I can tell you now I can remember walking out now not a word was spoken by anybody there were five of us in the car going back to Frimley which is where I live just up the road from Aldershot None of us said a word in that car all the way home. My friend, who um, he hadn't been married long there, he never spoke to his wife for a week. Um, they're divorced now. <laughs> <laughs> 
but that's how it affected everybody. It was our moment. I would always say I've got great memories of being involved with the formation of the new club, some great teams, some great people involved. You'll never beat the 78-79 team for me. In the end, I think there was a decision that was made that for the football club to go further, they have to invest more. And I don't think, you know, Aldershot has never been that club that has got people with big, big pockets. I've seen people crack up. I've seen people break down of, of the whole package because they've become so emotionally attached with it that the more they try, the harder it gets. And there comes a time when you can't do any more and you, you, you've done it. You've lost it. I've seen, say, I've seen people lose their businesses and it's heartbreaking to see that because some, some of the people, especially one of the people is, is a guy called Reg Driver. He was a fishmonger locally in Fleet, which is a town just up the road from Aldershot. And he was heavily involved with the Aldershot Football Association, which, funny enough, I'm now the vice chairman of the Aldershot Football Association. Um, so, you know, many, many years later, he, he became involved. He was asked by the football club to get involved in the early 70s, became the chairman. And the first thing he learned really was the club was out of control financially. They were spending money they didn't have. So the first thing he had to do was some very unpopular things and he had to make changes to get the financial situation back on track. And he did that. And even then, they still got promotion. It was the first time ever Aldershot got promotion in their history, which is 1973. They stayed in Division Three for three years and then had that really successful time, as I said earlier on in the late 70s, just missing out on promotion, cup runs. And the club was in a really good position. And then... It became harder. The crowds in the early 80s started dropping off and the club had houses and it had to sell them one by one just to get some money back. It had a really thriving lottery, one of the best in the country. And then it, you know, everything just started to, to deteriorate a little bit. So there's this red driver who I'm giving a lot of criticism to. And, and don't get me wrong, he wasn't an angel. You know, there, there was something he, he did where they think, good God. But he was a decent man doing his best to keep the local football club on track. And what happened in the later years, those people were not, were not involved when Aldershot Football Club folded in 1992. We had, um, you know, we had some rotten people who got involved, couldn't care less about Aldershot Football Club. One or two of them were there for purely the wrong reasons. Well, we had three different chairmen, I think, in the last month of the old club. And I'll never forget it as well, is the promises that they made. Yeah, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. And as time was ticking on, you just thought to yourself, do you know what? I don't think we are going to be all right. And we weren't. We all, when it became desperate, all the people that had sort of a, an interest in, in Aldershot Football Club were, were called to the meeting. I was involved with the sports club at the time, so I came to the meeting. And I ended up sitting next to Bob Potter. And when, and bear in mind, this is this guy was probably the, the wealthiest or one of the wealthiest low men in the locality at the time. And I can always remember him looking at the finances when they, when they went around and he just turned around and he said, no chance. And you thought, crikey, if he's saying that, don't get me wrong, he wasn't known for, for, for spending that money, but he had contacts. He had, I, I always thought with, with somebody like him around, we would have a chance, even if it wasn't him putting the money in himself. But once he said that, I'm thinking, crikey. We've got serious problems here because there was nobody of any credibility involved in terms of who, who could make the decisions that could have changed things at the time. 
the day that the football club folded, I was at the football club. Um, I was helping them out voluntarily. I'd been made redundant, funny enough, just before Christmas time. So from January to March, I was helping the club in the offices voluntarily. I'm trying to think what I was with. I was with a guy called Norman Penny, who was a, a, a fantastic guy, one of those club stalwarts who would always muck in and do anything, who I learned an awful lot from. And, you know, I can always remember being in the office with Norman. We were just sitting there. And, and then when we heard the news, got a phone call, no mobiles in those days. So we got a phone call saying it's gone. And... Uh, it was just solemn, just a solemn feeling. And then our next game was away. It was away at Cardiff City. So because it was away, we could still play the game. And just probably sum it up, it's quite a funny story. Because the club had no money, we were, the supporters club, were paying for the coach travel. So the coach company said, well, we ain't taking you, the team, until we get our money up front. Which, to be fair, to a, football, to a club that's just been... Um, in administration on the verge of liquidation is probably a fair fair assessment from the coach company but that was in the days where you could only get a certain amount of money out from each building society so I had to go on the morning of the game I went to the order shot I think it's a Halifax the order shot one the um, Farnborough one and the Farn I think it's Farnham one but I had to go to three different building societies to get the money out from each one so I had the cash that I could then give to the coach driver before we went off. And the funny thing was, when I got back, all the players are sitting on the coach and they're going, for crying out loud, where have you been? We want to get going. And <laughs> little did they know, I was going around getting the money so we could get, and it's a farce really when you think back, but that's exactly what happened. And uh, we went up to Cardiff. They were fantastic, Cardiff City. And we lost 2-0, very emotional. All our fans were in one corner. And, you know, a very emotional time. And I can always remember coming back on the team coach. And I can, we was outside the Tony's chip, fish and chip bar in Aldershot High Street at, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning, having a bag of chips, thinking, what on earth has gone on here? And it's just a surreal feeling, horrible feeling. Um, and then a few days later, the club folded and it probably hit home. And there's a photograph somewhere of myself, Steve Wignall, Ian McDonald outside the main gates of the football club when they've got um, a locksmith coming in changing the locks on 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 the main entrance to the to the football club. That was a few days later, and and that was it. And that was the end of Aldershot Football Club. One a.m. outside a chippy, saying, "What on earth has gone on here?" Sounds like one of our nights out, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, very bleak stuff. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, honestly, to condense um, all of Graham's interview into 10 minutes took a lot of doing because he had so much great insight into the club and obviously he had a lot of insight into what would go on to be uh, come the new club, uh, which we'll finish on. But, you know, if you ever want to find out anything about Aldershot or Aldershot Town, you know, he really is the guy who... Um, knows everything about that club and as I say he's got um, a book out um, uh, to make a dream survive which I think he wrote about six years ago certainly from interviewing him I'm really interested to um, find out a bit more about the club and certainly his involvement because it's people like that who really do tell the full story of what was going on behind the scenes and with that final interview from Graham, that concludes uh, the story, the, the rise, the fall, the revival, 
the turmoil, the, um, the chairmans, uh, all the stuff that's gone on, asking the first question that we started with, what happened to Aldershot for it to go so badly? <sighs> Run out of money, innit? Um, but yeah, Andy said he didn't, like, he kind of hinted to it in the 80s that the, the interest just kind of dipped. And I, I know that, like, football attendances in general dip during that time for various reasons and um i i guess like when you when you're on the margins anyway and you've got a small pool of people and whatnot you you can't afford to lose that many people like yeah um and of course one thing that we haven't spoke about and i've left it till right at the end because it's it's such a strange story uh, in itself, really. And that's, uh, of course, uh, for those of you who are older shot, will know this name as soon as I say it. And that's um, Spencer Trethewey, who, for those of you who don't know, was the uh, the teenage boy who um, came forward with £200,000 to save the club. Now, I- I'm not going to say too much about it because there's uh, some good clips from the interviews about Spencer's involvement with the club. And and obviously, uh, it's worth saying that we did try to get Spencer to come on Lost Clubs and talk a bit about his uh, involvement with the club. But sadly, we couldn't get him to join us. Uh, he's actually the uh, manager of Farnborough now. So um, if ever you're um, in Farnborough and you want to find out a bit more about that part of the story, I guess the best thing to do is to uh, ask him in person. I feel um, like you've just sent out a hit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> His name's actually Spencer Day now, so um, he's even changed his name. He's changed his name to try and uh, avoid us hunting him down to ask him what the hell went on. But there's no one better to tell us than the people we interviewed, the people from the club. Thanks from us for tuning in to Pint of Football's Lost Clubs. When you look back, for the last three or four seasons, the club was always in the bottom four. And it was, I suppose, just a story that was inevitable that it was going to end up in, in tears. And it, and it did. My love for all the shot was, was massive. It's a massive part of my life. The sad thing about it is, normally when that kind of thing happens, it's the people who are genuine and care about it, there to sweep up the pieces. The people that are a big part of the cause couldn't care less because they've gone to something else. I wasn't just a player, I was more than a player, I was a fan of the club as well. Look, they were really good people, as there always is, working really hard, raising monies and stuff, but the, the direction from the top didn't seem to be any good, and there was a, so much infighting between the previous chair, they wanted to come back, and they, they then they brought the old manager back when they got back in, and, you know. And, of course, just to add to that, we had two years before the big saga when we had a guy called Spencer Trafui, who was uh, the 19-year-old who um, bought the football club, but he didn't buy the football club. I mean, the first time we first time we heard about him coming in was obviously when we saw him on the Wogan show. Um, and all those years, I said, oh, I've taken over a club, I'm looking to come in. It turned out that, the, I mean, the money wasn't his anyway. It was John McGinty's, I think, mainly, uh, who became chairman of the club, who was a director. I think that was basically, he managed to con a couple of the directly into investing in something that he said was a winner, you know, and he missed the check cleared anyway. It became a real mess, never paid the money back to people. It was all on promises. Um, it kept the football club alive a little bit longer, but just shouldn't have been involved. It, it was just sadness. Yeah, yeah. I just, 
disappointment, sadness, and just maybe didn't need to have ended up so badly. But it did. I had to go and meet him, and he turned up in this big limo, and just something wasn't quite right there. And I suppose that's the first time I thought to myself, I'm not sure about this. This just doesn't seem right. I can remember Terry Wogan asking him, how did you get your money? And he said, oh, I made it in property. And Terry Wogan said, well, property's dead at the moment. Now you can't make money in property and all of this. And just little things like that. You're just thinking something's not quite right. And, and eventually it was not right in a, in a big, big way. But a, a couple of the people that got involved in that for genuine intentions and lost out big time financially would only have put money into that believing that it was going to save the football club he ended up in prison of course a few years later what can i say without the old club folding the new club wouldn't perform so i mean it was it was a huge challenge it was lots of doubters but i wasn't really one of them I knew there was something was going on going on. I knew the chairman there he was looking at him and Grand Brooklyn were looking to form a club because they were really good fans of the club. They loved the club. I mean, they've been going to the club as fans for years and years and years. They wanted to get something going. So when the opportunity came along, yeah. they ended up signing for the club again. So it was it was a good feeling. But it didn't happen without the involvement, the support, the input, the hard work, the dedication, the commitment of an awful lot of people. And without all of those people, this story doesn't happen. Cheers for listening to this Pints of Football podcast. We would like to inform listeners that the content of this podcast has been permitted for use in this podcast only, and the content is from the view of the individuals involved, not Pints of Football. Thank you to Aldershot Football Attic, Andy Mayer, Kudambuya, and Graham Brooklyn for sparing their time to help us with this recording. For more free podcasts um, involving us too, check out pintoffootball.co.uk. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow us on Twitter. Uh, our address is at POF underscore reviews. Podcast Network.